You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's so good to be here with you today. Before we jump into things, I want to explain real quick something coming up at the end of this month. We've been talking about it, but if you're home watching or maybe you're here watching, you don't know what we're talking about. So on February 28th at six o'clock, we're having something called a vision night. And some of you are like, I don't know, do I really need one more thing in my schedule? I don't know if you need one more thing in your schedule. I can tell you I'm excited about vision night, and here's why. Because basically for the last six, seven months, the staff have been gathering and working with a group called the Unstuck Group to really talk about, dream about, think about what would our future look like? And so what we did is we came up with kind of a five-year plan, a five-year vision. So real quick, in the book of James, which we're gonna use a lot today, James says, none of you should say, next year we're gonna go do this or that. But he does say, you should say five years from now. I'm just kidding, he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, what you should do is say, if the Lord wills, we will go do this and that. And what he's talking about is the arrogance, the braggadociousness of this confidence that I'm gonna do everything I wanna do because ultimately I'm my own God. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to say is, God, we have no idea what you wanna do, but we want to learn from you, listen from you, seek your face, fall on our face, hear from you, and then act. And so what we wanna do on February 28th is tell you where we think God is leading us over the next five years and what will we do over the next 12 months to start to move in that direction. Now, you all have busy lives. You've got lots of things going on. If you can be here in person, that would be amazing. If not, then do your best to go online. If you call Kingsway home, you're a member here, you regularly attend here, you love this place, you believe that Jesus is alive and well and he's reigning in heaven through his church, then you wanna know what God is doing because he's active in the world. Because at the end of the day, a church isn't a building, a church isn't a pastor. If I get hit by the ice cream truck, it's the way I wanna go. If, that, if I get hit by the ice cream truck tomorrow and God raises up a new pastor to take my place, these things will still be true. It'll still be his church. It's not about me. It's about us living out what God is doing in us together. So February 28th at six o'clock, do your best to be there or engage online. I can't wait to tell you more about it. Now, let's go ahead and jump into today. My setup for today's message is this. I find myself over and over and over again, having marriage and family kinds of conversations with many people. And I find myself saying the same kinds of things over and over again. And I thought to myself, what if I wasn't just to have these kinds of conversations in a very small, private kind of conversation in my office or at lunch or at coffee or on the phone? What if I were to share these things I'm often saying privately because I keep saying them over and over and over again. And so I just started believing there's a lot of wisdom and truth in these things that we should talk about together. And as over the last six, eight months, I've been having these conversations, this song from when we were like kids, do you remember when you were a kid and you were going on a lion hunt? And all of a sudden you come up on a body of water or you come up on a forest or you come up on whatever it is and you can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it. You got to what? Got to go through it. That was what this series was birthed out of because life is sometimes hard. And I don't know if you know this or not, but family relationships are sometimes hard. Sometimes your spouse will have a bad day. Can you imagine such a thing? Not that you will, but they will. And you will have to figure out, how do I love this person through this? Sometimes your children might have a bad day and you gotta figure out, how do I love them through this? So today I wanna talk about this really hard thing called repentance and forgiveness. Aren't you glad you chose today to be the day you visited Kingsway? Welcome to Kingsway. This is going to be a lot of fun. All right, 
There's a movie that came out uh, a handful or so years ago, and my wife and I just re-re-watched it. I think this is our third time through it. I really like the movie, but like any Hollywood movie, there's obviously objectionable content in the movie. I'm not endorsing everything in the movie, but I really enjoy it. It's basically Groundhog Day for sci-fi fans, and it was called The Edge of Tomorrow. I don't know if you've seen this movie. If you haven't, maybe they should give me some of the royalties for you watching it today. But the tagline for The Edge of Tomorrow was live, die, repeat. And I won't give away the end of the movie, but essentially what happens is uh, there's an alien insurrection like every great sci-fi movie. And Tom Cruise is the lead male role. Emily Blunt is the lead female role. And within the first 20 minutes or so of the movie, Tom Cruise dies. Movie over. What just happened? It was a waste of time and money. Except... He wakes back up and he has to relive the same day. And he has to relive it over and over and over again. Now, the difference, obviously, between this and Groundhog Day is he's got to figure out some things. What is happening and why? And every day he lives and he dies and he repeats. And then he lives and he dies and he repeats. And he's trying to figure out how to beat the aliens. I won't spoil the ending, but he ends up dying and the aliens win. (laughs) May or may not be true. But anyway... I think this is biblical in this regard. Luke chapter nine, verse 23, Jesus says this. Then he, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross every so often whenever they feel like it and follow me. Now, if you're listening to the audio podcast, that's not actually what it says. It says daily, daily, as in every single day, live, die, repeat. Now, what is this thing Jesus is talking about? If you want to be my disciple, to be a disciple means to be a follower of Jesus, In Jesus' days, it was common to have rabbis who would have disciples, and the disciples would follow a rabbi, a teacher. Jesus wants to go further than just following him because typically what would happen is when that person died, you'd find a new rabbi. He wants you to be his follower even 2,000 years later after he is gone. And the only way we can do that is to deny ourselves. Let me just give you Bible history in like 30 seconds and I will do no justice to it whatsoever. But in the beginning, when God made human beings, he made us to have an intimate relationship with him. He desired to be our God and we would trust him and seek him and follow him. In fact, in Genesis chapter two, I think it's verse 25, it says, and Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. There was nothing in them to say that they weren't good enough, that they didn't measure up in the world, that they weren't going to make it. There was no fear. There's no anxiety. There was just perfect unity between them and God. And it was beautiful. And then sin came. And the reason sin came is because Adam and Eve stopped believing that God knew what was best for them and they started thinking they knew what was best for themselves. This is why Jesus says, you must deny yourself. This is what the Bible puts in the language that says, as the world goes, as the world thinks, don't go that way. Don't think that way. Do it a different way. And then he says, and the only way you're gonna do that is you're gonna have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, to us, 2,000 years later, this language makes a lot of sense. But to the disciples who heard this, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Crosses were originally began as a form of torture. 
I believe, if I'm saying this right, it was the Persians who began it, and then the Greeks built on it, and then the Romans even more perfected it. So originally, it was just a long pole stake put in the ground with a sharp point on the top, and they would impale a person on it and hang them there, and they would hang there if they were still alive until they died. And the birds and the animals would come and eat at their flesh. And sometimes they would line the roads with these bodies of insurrectionists, not alien ones, the real humankind, people who had rebelled against the whatever, the government, and they were going to put them there for all to see, to know you better not even try it or this will be your fate. Well, as each group of people, and as time went on, they added more to it and added more to it and added more to it to where the time Jesus shows up on the scene, the crucifixion is the most painful form of death the world has ever known. The Romans figured out how to perfectly place a nail in the wrist to split the bones without breaking them and pierce the nerve in there to cause excruciating pain. In fact, the word excruciating comes out of the word crucifixion because we created a word that described how terrible that was. And the only people who were really crucified were the worst of the worst of the worst. So when Jesus says, you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me, it was like, what? Nobody at that point in Luke 9 thought Jesus was going to die on a cross. But he was letting all of us know, one day I'm going to go do that for you. And if you want to follow me, you're going to have to do it also. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, has been dead now for a number of years But he wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Live, die, repeat. Now, how that applies to us really is two different ways. It applies, number one, if you wanna walk with God, you're going to have to take up your cross and die. I don't mean literally, put your guns away, put your knives away. Especially at the second portion of this message, we're gonna stop in the middle and we're gonna take communion and then we're gonna come back. So when we do communion, do not turn out, tune out at home online. But when we come back, we're gonna talk about how do I die in relationships like marriage and parenting on a regular basis. This past week, my mom, my, not my mom, my wife and I, it's a different person, we recorded a podcast for all of you that will be released, I believe, the week after the vision night. And uh, we just got together and Andy interviewed us, Andy Lynch, and just asked us questions about marriage and family in our home and, you know, what do we go through? And I tried really hard to keep my mouth shut so my amazing, smart, beautiful wife could talk. It was harder than you might expect, but to give her the chance to share all of her wisdom, she is truly the better half of me. If you ever met the two of us, you know you get the bad end of the deal every Sunday. But she's sharing and I'm sharing with Wisdom. And before we went to that, kind of Andy gave us some questions. I thought, I think I'll talk about these things. And so we kind of talked about like, hey, what, what are some examples from our home we could share? And we had just had this big fight like three weeks ago or something. I, I know, imagine that, like the pastor and his wife ever have a fight. Here's the thing, I can't for the life of me, neither could she remember what in the world it was about. Like what in the world were you fighting about? I don't know, I just remember she was wrong. That's all I can seem to remember. <laughs> I love you, baby. And uh, in all seriousness now, so she's, 
We're having this fight, and it comes down to this. We can't remember what it's about. She's convinced that the way she's saying it is right. I hear her wrong. I get upset. And then when I finally go, okay, let's stop fighting. And this, like, what is going on? And so then I tell her, the reason why this is starting fighting is because you're saying it wrong. If you were to say it like this, then I would have understood what you were talking about. And she's telling me, no, I'm wrong. And I don't remember what it is for the life of me. I don't. And what's funny is I don't care. It was three weeks ago. It's done. It's over. But in that moment, it was a really, really big deal. Now, if you have those kinds of fights in your relationship, you move on, right? Unless you're having them all the time and you can't move on. But what happens when it's not that kind of thing? What happens when it's really big and really personal and really painful? That's what this message is really all about. How do we get unstuck from those? Years ago, I used this illustration. I'll use it again. Uh, my kids are watching this message at home right now, and they may not even remember this moment. I hope they don't, but it happened. I was in the backyard working on the playground. I don't remember what I was doing. I just remember where I was in the backyard. It was Saturday, I believe, and the day was going on, and I was way behind on the project, which is normal for me. I was getting constantly frustrated and irritated. It was around dinner time, and my wife was coming out, and she was asking me to do some other things, get ready for dinner, and I don't remember the details now. This would have been maybe six, seven years ago. I was frustrated and irritated at a million different things, but in that moment, I was frustrated and irritated at her and whatever she had asked and whatever she had said, and so I yelled at her. I'm in my backyard. At that point, I believe we had two kids, and they were in the backyard. And as soon as I did it, uh, she was not very pleased, as you can imagine. And I sat there frustrated and kind of like, God, glad I shut that off. And then the Lord said, you do know that was not okay, right? I'm working on whatever it is I was working on. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. God let me sit in my anger for a few minutes. And he said, you know, you need to apologize, right? And what went through my head next was, I can't apologize. If I apologize, I'm not going to get this done, God. And if I don't get this done, tomorrow's Sunday and I'll be tired and I won't be able to do it for another week and we need to get it done. And then God went, yeah, I don't care. None of that matters. You do know your boys heard that, right? Yes, I know they heard, but they're little, God. They won't even remember it. You don't know that. What will they remember about this moment? Maybe you'll have to come back some other day and hear how the story ends, but if we're talking about a mutual silly fight where we both think the other person's wrong, we both just go, eh, let's just move on. It's not worth it. That's one thing, but it's another thing. What if what I do actually causes hurt and damage? What do I do? We often forget that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins. God allowed the Romans to crucify his son because of our sin. And we downplay that. We minimize it. Well, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Well, they've never brought it up again, so maybe it's just over. But the reality is every time we do that, every time I do that, it's like crucifying Jesus. This is why James chapter four, verse four says this, you adulterous people, don't you know? The friendship with the world means enmity against God. Okay, just again, the world has to do with this idea that we live in a place that is not surrendered to God. 
And that world can be our church, our small groups, our family, our workplace, our schools, our government, our nation, the world, literally the world. But it doesn't have to do with earth and the dirt. It has to do with the people in the world, the systems in the world. And what, what James is trying to get to is when we do this, we become friends with something that is set apart from God and it creates a distance, a gap between us and God. And then he goes on, he goes, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes, it's even stronger, an enemy of God, an enemy of God. Not just distant from him, but opposed to him. When I align my life and my heart with things that are not aligned with God, I'm actually taking up weapons to try to fight against God and what he's doing in the world. This is why James goes on and he says, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? There's so much to say in this one verse, but just to be quick, in other words, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he's the one who causes his spirit to live inside us. And the reason he's doing that is to bring about reconciliation between us and him. And the only way to do that is for him to cause it within us. Because if not, we're gonna keep trying to do it on our own flesh and our own strength. And I don't know about you, I know I don't have enough in me. Sooner or later, I'm going to have a bad day. And when I do, it's gonna be my best fleshly efforts to bring that about. But Jesus is telling us through James that the spirit in us is supposed to cause that. And God longs for a right relationship with the spirit he's put in us. And he's jealous about it. There's a famous celebrity, I won't say who, you may be familiar with this conversation, you can go Google it later, who does not like this teaching in the scriptures. In fact, believes it's wrong that God could not be a jealous God. And my guess is, this person, I've never sat down with them, I'll probably never get to sit down with them. My guess is this person feels that way because they have a misunderstanding of what it means for God to be jealous. For God to be jealous is not an abusive husband or an abusive you know, boyfriend or girlfriend who tries to control and manipulate you. God's jealousy comes from the fact that he knows there is no being now or ever that will love you and care for you and provide for you like he will. It, it hurts him personally when you choose to do things your own way in your own flesh, fulfill your own desires, regardless of taking thought about what pleases him. He knows what is right. He alone knows what is good. He alone knows what is just. He alone knows what is fair. And so when we don't act in those ways, he jealously longs to be reunited to us through the spirit. And then James goes on in verse six and he says, but he gives us more grace. Before we go on to the rest of what James says, Paul, another teacher who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, he says it this way, the more that sin increased, the more grace increased all the more. So that you could never out-sin God's grace. Are you with me? It's so powerful. Paul, you'll find this in Romans chapter five and six. Paul, in talking about this, he, he starts to deal with the way our brains will work. Well, if I can never out-sin God's grace because the more I sin, the more God's grace increases, well, then why wouldn't I just keep doing whatever I want, no matter how much it hurts and offends other people or him? And Paul goes on and he's like, may I never be? Do you understand? Like, maybe you don't understand. Your sin 
put Jesus on the cross. Your sin cost him his life. Your sin is terrible. It's evil. Don't just live in it and accept this is the best it's ever going to be. This must be the way it is. By no means. Do you not know? James goes on, he says, and this is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It's been said that if you will humble yourself, God will lift you up. But if you lift yourself up, God will humble you. And in my 20 plus years of being a pastor, I've seen this over and over and over again. It is so painful to look at God and to look at others and say, I messed up and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? But when we do, we place ourselves into the hands of God and God in the other person, moving and stirring and waiting. And it's hard because you can't be in control and do that anymore. And part of denying yourself and live, die, repeating over and over again is just simply giving up that control and saying, God, I don't have to manage this or be in control of this or make it happen in my way. I just have to trust you. And he'll show favor to the humble. James goes on in verse seven. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I took a class uh, in the book of James in Bible college and this passage baffled me. I didn't know what to do with it. Here's why. My immature view of God at that point in my life was God wants me to be happy all the time. He wants me to always smile, never any hard stuff, never any conflict. Just go, 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 go. Good, 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 good. All the time. And I got to this passage and that didn't line up. And I thought, I don't think James wrote that right. And then what I came to realize is, see, there's a way to live life that seems right, but in the end, it only leads to death. And we can cover up and act like everything is okay. We can cover up and act like everything's good and we can put a happy face on. We can even go do fun things. But the reality is our sin is serious. It profoundly hurts others. And Paul is trying to encourage the church that he's writing this letter to. And he's saying, look, you shouldn't be laughing and joking and celebrating. You should be broken over your sin. You should be grieving and mourning and wailing. You should be changing your joy to gloom. It's not fake, it's repentance. There's a huge difference. And then he goes on in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We could say, like, like the movie tagline, live, die, repeat, but here's what I find myself saying to couples who are going through really, really, really hard stuff. It's more like this, humble yourself, repent, forgive, repeat. If I could do premarital counseling in one phrase, that's it. You wanna have a 50, 60, 70, 80 year healthy home, it's that right there. Humble yourself. That means dying to self. That means admitting when you're wrong, even if they are wrong and you're convinced they're more wrong, it doesn't matter. It means owning stuff nobody knows about. 
It means going really, really deep and talking about it and saying, this is, I messed this up, I messed up bad, I hurt you, I embarrassed you. It means repenting, which we'll talk more about in a moment, but that means to turn around, to do an about face, to literally, I was going this way and I'm coming this way, I'm not going back again. And then to forgive, it means to release others of the debt they've accrued against you and that you've accrued against them. And then it means starting over the next day and doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And what happens when we do this? Isaiah, uh, written 700 to 750 years before Jesus, says this, chapter 30, verse 15. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, and repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You didn't want it. Okay, so I think it's interesting that God correlates repentance with rest. Right? Have you ever noticed how exhausting it is when you're constantly at war with God and others? Have you ever noticed that? Is there anything in you right now that you know, like God has been moving in you, not just right now, for days, weeks, months, that something you're doing is not pleasing him. And he keeps revealing it to you and you keep stuffing it down. You keep ignoring it, keep moving on. You'll maybe have a quiet moment during a communion and say, God, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. You do it again, you do it again, or whatever it is. Or maybe there's a person in your life that's constantly mad at you and you're convinced they're the problem, even though you know you're doing things to make it worse and you aren't owning it, you aren't doing something about it. And God is saying, look, if you really want to experience rest, if you really want to experience salvation, if you really want to experience quietness, if you really want to experience trust, we might summarize all that by peace. It begins with you. And James, or sorry, Acts chapter three, the apostle Peter, he says it this way, and I love this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you even Jesus. Again, the idea here is, and when I'm not right with God, there's just an angst that sits in my soul. And if I want to be refreshed, I turn to God. So we're not quite done yet, but what we want to stop and do right now is communion. And we want to provide a time and a place for you to do this. After we take communion together, um, I will come back up and I wanna make some very uh, clear applications for how do I repent and how do I forgive? It won't be everything that needs to be said, but it will be something. But right now, what I think we need to do is we need to first bring ourselves to the Lord because we can't give to others what we haven't received from him. We can't go to others and seek their forgiveness if we haven't gone to him first. We can't give forgiveness away if we haven't received it from him. So you don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. Nobody here has to know what's in your heart and what's going on. But let's not just sit and reflect. Let's bring our lives to our Father and repent. So I'm gonna encourage you. I'll just say a quick prayer and I'll hand it to you. That as you take this bread, I want you to literally name whatever God is revealing to you needs to be named before him. And then after you take that, open it up and take the juice and just spend this time receiving the grace, the refreshing, and the forgiveness of God. And start a prayer and then I hand it to you. God, I pray this is a, a heavy message, but it's such a needed one. God, may we who are your disciples, who follow you, may we never get tired of seeking forgiveness from you. May we never grow weary of receiving your mercy and grace. God, I pray you would sweep 
in this room and in, through this video for people watching at home. And God, may your spirit speak exactly what they need to do, what they need to bring to you and what they need to repent of. Refresh us now, Father, in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your uh, mercy and your grace is more than enough. So God, we come to you confessing our sin, just as John tells us, believing that you will forgive us, have forgiven us. And we thank you for Jesus. Without him, we'd have no hope. Without him, we'd have no life. Without him, we'd have no peace. So God, I pray for each of us to live these principles in our everyday life and to start over and do it again tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna just spend our last few moments together giving you some practical tips for how to apply this in everyday life. The difference between a healthy home and an unhealthy home is found in how quickly and how effectively we repair the damage that was done. I'm gonna say that again, even though I know it's on the screen. The difference between a healthy home and an unhealthy home is found in how quickly and how effectively we repair the damage that was done. Do any of you know a really bad apologizer? Keep your elbows to yourself. This isn't time to text a friend. Do you know a bad apologizer? You know the kind of person who blames you for being offended by their poor decisions? You know the kind of person who says, well, I'm sorry you were offended, but. Or, well, I didn't mean for it to come out that way. I mean, yes, there are moments of grace and mercy where a person can say, I, I, did, I did not mean to hurt you but they need to follow that up with, I am so sorry. And following that with, will you forgive me? 
So these two things are critical, quickly and effectively, quickly and effectively. And we're gonna talk about those, just give you some, maybe God will use some nugget in here for what you're going through right now. So in James chapter five, verse 16, James goes on and he writes this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some translations say powerful and accomplishes much. So there is a point where a person, in order to really be forgiven, really needs to confess their sins. I know this isn't easy. I know this is hard. But it's going to take dying to self, humbling yourself, so that God can raise you up again. It's okay to look at somebody you've hurt and say, I blew it, even if they also blew it. Did you know that? You can actually look at somebody and own, even if 10% of the problem is yours, own your 10%, 100% of the way. That actually makes sense mathematically, but you have to think about what I said. Own your 10%, 100% of the way, and not to manipulate not so that they'll say they're sorry, not so that they'll own their 90%, you could put them in their place, but because you, before God, understand that what you did is not okay. All the way back to that day, after the Lord kept convicting me in the backyard, I finally swallowed my pride, I put my tools down, I went over to my wife, I said, I was a jerk and I'm sorry. I yelled at you, it wasn't your fault, I'm frustrated. And what happened next is I started to try to justify I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm stressed about this, I'm trying to get this, I'm doing the da da and then you came out, and if you hadn't, da-da-da. That's not helpful. That's not owning it. Now I'm starting to make her feel bad, like, well, you should understand the reason I did it. Is there a reason why I did it? Probably. Does that help her give me mercy? Maybe. But if I don't ever get to the point where I look at her and say, and I was a jerk, and I'm sorry, then it's not repentance. Remember, the word repentance, one of them in the Bible, is a Hebrew word called shuv or shuv. And literally, in the, I think it's Jeremiah chapter three, I think it is, um, God says, you were in a right relationship with me. You repented or turned away from me. You began to walk away from me. And if you will just stop and turn back, I will heal you of your turning. He uses the same word three times to say, this is about turning back to me. Not doing this and then back again and then this and then back again, but to turn towards me, and God will do the healing in our relationship. And then he lays that pattern out for all of us. Come to me, and I will begin to bring healing about in our relationship. And after I looked at my wife and said I was sorry, I believe she forgave me, but honestly, she was still hurt. She was still mad. Can you imagine that? Like, there's not manipulation here. Like, will you forgive me? Yes, fine, I guess I have to. She was still hurt. And the next thing I did was the hardest I remember my oldest, Matthias, was playing in the sandbox and I went over to him. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but I think he was around five years old, give or take. And I went over to him and I got down on his level and I said, hey, buddy, uh, a few minutes ago, I yelled at mommy. And he looked up from his sand and he goes, yeah, dad, why'd you do that? Ugh, because your dad's a jerk. I mean, like, I don't know what else to say. Because I'm a, this is literally what I said, because I'm a sinner. And sometimes my sin wins and I wish it didn't. And so, son, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that to your mother. I'm sorry I did that in front of you. Will you forgive me? And I went over to my little guy, Levi, who was even younger and did the same thing there. It was weird. It was awkward. You know, every time my kids ever um, back talk their mom, there's a part of me that goes, did they learn that from me? Sin has its effects. It does. And the little ones around us, they're watching and they're learning. 
So what would it take for you to acknowledge where you were wrong, to die, to humble yourself, to go and say, I'm sorry and will you forgive me? Now the next verse I wanna show you, Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The word bear has to do with weight. If you ever had somebody who really hurt you come to you and say, I am so sorry. Now there's a burden on you because what am I gonna do? You've acknowledged maybe what I thought or suspected all along, but now I know what am I supposed to do because what I really wanna do is punch you in the face. But will I? To bear means to carry the burden. And here's the hardest part. If somebody's repenting to you, you now carry the weight of their choices. You were already carrying the weight of it, but now you carry a double weight because they're asking you to release them of what they did. And it feels like death. Supposed to. Because that's what Jesus did to forgive us. Do you see the correlations? Which is why Paul can say, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Completely, fully, all the way. Now, I do wanna say, and this is like, this, what I'm about to say is like books and hours of counseling and sermon series all together. And I'm gonna give it 30 seconds and it won't be enough. But there's a huge difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is the first step towards reconciliation, but it's not the last step. It's just the first one. And what I mean by that is, you've heard the phrase, um, time heals all wounds. Yeah, it's a lie. This is why you can still go to Christmas uh, with family and you've got some broken thing that happened years ago and it's still broken. But confession and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness, it's the beginning of a beautiful thing. So time doesn't heal all wounds, but the right actions over time do. Recently, I was talking with a friend whose father died. My friend, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's older than I am by five or 10 years. And so his dad is even older then. And um, I said, you know, how are you doing? Kind of processing all this. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm missing my dad. I'm so glad he's in heaven. I'm so glad he knows Jesus. But I'm grieving the relationship that we never got to have. And so as we unpack that a little bit, he did say there was a major change in our relationship. He said like 24 years ago, he was just becoming a father himself and he and his dad were in the car and his dad literally goes, pull over. It was like this awkward moment. He pulls over to parking. I'm like, what is happening? And his dad looks at him just while they're sitting there and he said, son, do not do to your family what I did to you. And he said, it was like a weight was actually lifted off my shoulders because my dad was acknowledging what I had known and felt my entire life. It was the beginning of a healing. Unfortunately, it didn't go a lot further after that. It still opened the door for the two of them to, to begin to reconcile all those years, what could have been reconciled if his dad would have just said it sooner. How many times did his dad have that thought, but just thought, I'm not gonna swallow my pride. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna put it out there. And now we did. And he's so glad he did, but man, what if it could have gone further? My friend was lamenting and saying, I can't wait till heaven when he and I are fully restored and have this beautiful, amazing relationship with nothing between us and everything is gone and everything is forgiving and everything is healed. But it's better than if they'd never had that conversation. Are you with me? To forgive somebody is not the same as trust. Trust takes time. It takes living, dying, and repeating. Or as I said, it takes humbling yourself, 
repenting, forgiving, and then repeating. And doing it over and over and over again. It's hard stuff, but boy, is it worth it. And if you wanna have a healthy home and a marriage that lasts a lifetime, start doing it today. So here's where I wanna leave us. Everybody in here is going to sing. And got a couple songs to give you space. We're actually gonna sing, I think we're singing, I hope I'm right in this, the song Rattle, which we've started singing around here. I love the song. But the song Rattle is using these Old Testament stories about miraculous healings. I don't know if you knew that. And they're real stories that are reported in the Bible. The only problem is most of us don't experience miraculous healings. Most of us experience slow transformation of the gospel over time. And both are from God. But it begins with an initial decision to surrender. So while we're singing and praising God and thanking him for his mercy, his grace, his goodness, and him doing these awesome things in us, if you're in this place and you're carrying a weight either from somebody else's sin or from your own, we wanna give you a place to work through that. So outside these doors, we've got people wearing lanyards, go just see them on, and they are ready to pray with you. And you don't have to tell them anything more than you wanna tell them. You can go as deep as you wanna go. You can be as vulnerable as you wanna be. But you can go right out there and just say, I need prayer. Would you pray for my spouse? Would you pray for my, you know, my parents? Would you pray for my kids? Whatever it is, would you just pray for us? You wanna go deeper? Go deeper. They're ready to help you however deep you wanna go. They're ready to pray with you. If you're watching at home right now and you want prayer also, would you just put connect right now? Just type connect if you're like on say Facebook and you're watching at home online, put that in there. We will follow up with you as soon as possible. If you're watching this later on down the road, putting uh, connect in there may not help. So I want you to text 317 565 4911. And if I know Danielle and Andy, they're actually putting that in the chat room right now so you can see that. 565-4911. Just text the word connect. We'll write you back. We'll get in touch with you. We'll pray with you. We will do everything we can to assist you. But prayer works. It's not just talking. It's not a joke. It's not just a thing. God is listening and he wants to help. And the book of James, which I didn't read, says you do not have because you do not ask. What would happen if today is the day we decided to ask? Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father God, meet us in this place right now. Stir in our hearts, move in us. God, don't let us leave here with the burden on our shoulders and we take no steps to reconcile to you or to others. God, move in us. Help us do this quickly and effectively, God. Help us to own what's ours to own. Help us to forgive even when it's hard and it hurts. And God, help us to live out gospel-centered, saturated relationships with other people. We love you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, all God's people said, Amen. Let's sing. Come on.